Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Um, uh, my voice hasn't been great this week, so if you're lucky, it'll fail about five minutes into the sermon and you can all go to morning tea. Um, but we'll see how we go, all right? Um, but it's lovely to be with you. Um, I don't know whether they hear the word of the Lord and the response is um, something that you normally say. Is that what you normally say? I would normally say this is the word of the Lord, not hear the word of the Lord. I'd do the other one because hear the word of the Lord suggests that maybe the word of the Lord is only as it comes to you and you hear it, not as the ink dries on the page. The Bible is God's word. When you hear the word of God read, it is God's word you're hearing. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Um, that's just my challenge. I'm sorry, that goes with being a bishop in the past, always correcting clergy and doing all those sorts of things. And, and Trevor's not here, so I can do whatever I like, can't I? And Sue will just complain about me later on. Um, I've had a, we've had a wonderful week here in um, Cairns, and um, uh, we've been the guests of Peggy and Peter, who have spoiled us so rotten. So I'm just saying that in case you ever have to bill at us, you've got a lot to live up to, okay? <laughs> All right, and we expect it too. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it, it's been a great time to be uh, in Cairns and um, we've enjoyed some great fellowship. Went to the picture yesterday and I actually on my bookshelf at home, I have a, a book, kind of psychedelic cover that says, The Jesus Generation. Um, or the Jesus Revolution, I think it says, and um, uh, all fitted into that beautiful period where Billy Graham was um, around at the time. What a great man he was. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's enough of me just waffling. But to be honest with you, to waffle at the beginning is just an opportunity for me to kind of settle in and feel a bit more comfortable myself with where I'm at. But we're in Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to pray. And um, you've got an outline in your, um, <clears throat> in your bulletin, and you also have the Bible passage there, so you can actually mark it with your pen and scribble notes and come and talk to me afterwards if you would like to. <clears throat> ah, let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your love of us. And today as we come to your word, we're confronted by man across a chasm that can never be crossed and for whom the eternal does not belong to him. And we pray, Heavenly Father, as we listen today, that if there is anyone here who is not walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that your spirit might move them to repent and believe. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would keep your children until we find our rest, ultimately, like Lazarus, in the promises of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you are like me, but I, I, I kind of like walking through cemeteries. Um, where I used to live in Armidale, we had a cemetery at the bottom of the road and we used to take Milo, our little dog, and we would walk through the cemetery. <clears throat> And I would love reading the various different comments made on, um, on tombstones and things like that. 
And I've discovered that there are many funny tombstones, you know, like, here lies the body of Joan Carthew, preferring to be buried here than having to live with you. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Or the one, the lady that uh, buried her husband and um, when she went to the stonemason, she said, just, just put his name in, in a suitable place. And um, so when they got the tombstone back, it had his name underneath in a suitable place. <laughs> Isn't that dreadful? Oh dear. There's some terrible ones, aren't there? But uh, I have to say, I've never seen those tombstones and I've never seen this one, but this one is one that stands out for me and for good reason. Uh, on the tombstone it said, Poor stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Now, I'm not in favour of vandalism, but on this occasion somebody vandalised the tombstone and I think very appropriately. Because at the bottom, some unknown passerby had scratched these words. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> That's appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. Eh? You know, there are so many questions about death, isn't there? Um, I was asked by a school to speak about death. The students wanted to understand what happens after death. And so uh, I put my mind to some of that. And this morning what I want to do is pull back the curtain on death and I want us to pop our head through and have a bit of a sneak peek so we know what potentially is beyond the curtain. And there are many questions and you might well want to come up to me after the sermon and say, can you tell me where Uncle Bob is or Auntie Sue or, or my brother or my mum or my dad? Can you tell me where they are? Please don't come and ask me that question because I can't tell you. I can't tell you where they are. Only God knows who is in hell and who will be in heaven. Only God knows that. So I can't tell you where your family members have gone, but I can tell you how you can be in heaven and not have anything to worry about, okay? I can tell you how to be in heaven and not have anything to worry about. Um, the parable, sorry, it's not a parable. The, the story that you have there in um, chapter 16 um, is probably one of the best-known stories about the issue of life after death. It's the story of Jesus and um, Lazarus and the rich man. And I want to say up front that it's not described in Luke's gospel as a parable. A lot of people actually say this is a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But if you read through Luke's gospel, when Jesus tells parables, it often says, and Jesus told this parable, and Jesus told this parable. If you had your Bibles there, you could flick over just a little bit um, to, oh, why do they always disappear when you want them? Uh, to chapter 19, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Um, and so 
each time Jesus tells a parable, it is Luke draws our attention to what it is. But on this occasion, when he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, he doesn't talk about it as a parable. Now you might say, well, just because he doesn't talk about it as a parable doesn't mean it's not a parable. But I'm just saying that in Luke's gospel, it's not recorded as Jesus telling a parable. So there may be some truthfulness to what Jesus is saying here in reality, not just as a story. Both men, you'll notice, died. Did you notice that? Lazarus and, uh, and the rich man. But did you notice the difference between them? Lazarus, you'll notice, has no burial. But what did he have? What did the text tell you that he did have? Why should I do all the hard work? My voice is failing. Why don't you help me with the sermon? The angels carried him. So he's not buried, but he has the angels carry him, doesn't he? Now, look at the rich man. What happens for him? He has a burial, doesn't he? But what's missing? The angels. And I imagine... That Lazarus, poor old Lazarus, who's been lying at the gate, they just picked him up like in one of those Monty Python movies. You remember where they put the guy in the barrel and they carried him off to the garbage tip? And, and he's yelling out, I'm not dead yet, I'm not dead. Shut up, you soon will be. Um, so, you know, it's a terrible picture, isn't it? But, but no one cares about Lazarus. And off he goes. But I imagine the rich man, well, we're told he was buried. So maybe a state funeral for a man as important as this. You know, big cathedral op op option, you know, and everyone comes. And he looks impressive from a world's perspective. But there's nothing from heaven that comes to his assistance. Why the difference why the difference between Lazarus and the rich man? I think it's hinted at when Abraham says to the rich man in verse 29 that his family have Moses and the prophets. You see, they have the word of God, but they don't listen to it. Do you get that? That is so important for you to hear this morning. Here is a rich man and his family. They have the word of God, Moses and the prophets. Remember that this is an Old Testament moment. Jesus is telling the story. Okay, The only Bible they have is the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. And they clearly don't listen. Look at verses 19 and 21 with me for a moment. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now is that a man listening to the word of God, do you think? Moses and the prophets, every day, off to bowls 
And he pushes open the gate and he steps over Lazarus's body, standing at the gate and gives not any attention to him. Oh, clearly this man did not listen to Moses and the prophets or he would have cared for the poor. He would have bound up his injuries. He would have fed the poor fellow. Look at verse 25. Again, it throws it away. It gives us the answer. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. He could have fixed that. He could have met the man in the bad things and resolved some of those things. And his guilt reeks through this passage. There's the difference. This man did not listen to Moses and the prophets. Well, one minute after he dies, I want you to notice this, the rich man is fully conscious, verse 24. Did you see that? Remember we're poking our head through the curtain to look at life after death this morning. The rich man feels thirst, though it is never quenched. He converses with Abraham, though the conversation is not a happy one. He remembers his family, and he's terrified for them. And he recognises poor Lazarus, but did you notice that he still thinks Lazarus should be his servant? Even in the grave, the guy doesn't repent. He thinks this poor beggar should actually still be my servant, send him back so that he can tell my family not to come where I've come. One minute after this man dies, the rich man dies, he is fully conscious but his consciousness is terrible, terrible, terrifying. Then one minute after he dies, you might notice that the, realize, the man, rich man realises that his destiny is fixed in verse 26. Did you see that? There is a chasm that can't be crossed from either side. For Lazarus, that's good news. Because nothing can ruin his rest now. Nothing. But yet on the other side of the chasm, it's bad news because there's nothing that can improve this man's pain. It's a terrible picture, isn't it? One minute after he dies, the rich man seems to know God's justice is right. It's not very obvious in the text and maybe I need to be careful at this point to draw some conclusions but it seems that the rich man knows now that he deserves to be in hell. Isn't that strange? I mean this side of the grave people are always saying how dare you talk about God suggesting that people would go to hell. Why God is loving. God is kind. He would never have anything like hell, would he? And yet, for the rich man, on the other side of the grave, in hell, he actually doesn't complain to God at all about hell. He actually just recognises that this is where he deserves to be. 
Now there's an awake, awakening, you know, do you think? I mean, oh, you talk to people in the street and they, they're all happy with a lovey-dovey, sentimental kind of Hollywood version of God where everyone ends up happy and at home. But you start talking to them about the God who actually will bring justice, they will say, I don't believe in that kind of God. And I imagine that the rich man here probably lived all his life thinking, oh, hell's no problem. God will fix it. I don't need to worry about it. I can live the way I want to live, do what I like to do. It'll all work out. And then when he dies, he's confronted by the reality of his bad choices. And he doesn't complain. Did you notice that? One minute after he dies, the rich man now wants to conduct a mission. Did you see that? Did you see that? Verse 27, 28, look at it there. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. It's interesting, isn't it? I always think this is an interesting moment and it's certainly an important one for us. You know, Trevor shows up at the beginning of the year and he says, friends, we've got a great year planned for Northern Hope Anglican Church. We're going to uh, do lots of evangelism this year. We've got a mission team coming perhaps from Moore College in Sydney and you're going to set them up and you're going to do mission and, and it's going to be a great week and um, hopefully some of you will billet some of the Moore College students and, um, and that you'll get involved with the mission and you'll invite your friends and you're listening to Trevor give the announcement and you look at you. You go, just let me check my phone. Just calendar. When's he talk? Oh, he's talking about May, 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 May. That'd be a great time to go on holidays then. The weather would be good then. I think I might just duck off at that particular time of the year. Isn't that the way we are when things like that happen? We think, oh, not another mission. Surely not. And we only had one last year. Like, seriously, we're having another one? Oh, no, please, no. And yet, beyond the grave, the man in hell can think of nothing other than a mission being conducted to his living friends and family. That's why I don't like walking through the graveyard. My wife, she gets really quite uptight when I preach and say this kind of, thing to people because we have loved ones who have died without Christ but I walk through the graveyard sometimes and I think I wonder how many are actually crying out from the grave oh God send someone back from the dead someone who can introduce my family to this so that they don't come where we have come And I think, well, that's not possible, is it, for us? It's not possible, well, we'll get to this in a minute. Certainly God sends his son back from the dead, doesn't he? Which is surprising in this text. 
But God is not in the habit of sending people back from the dead every week, is he? And so they're not coming back. So who's left to conduct a mission to our family and the families of the dead? Who's left but us? There is nothing more important for us to do than to take the precious name of Jesus to the people who are lost. There's nothing more important for us to think about whether we're at the golf club, the bowling club, the fishing club, or your whatever club you belong to, your men's shed. There's nothing more important than trying to think through how do I actually bring these people into the knowledge of the one who can save them from being across the other side of the abyss. You know, the world desperately needs you. God has desperately got you, hasn't he? Is that right? He's desperately got you. I mean, it took the desperation of God to enter our world and to be nailed to a cross. You know? It took the desperation of Jesus in the Garden of Eden to say, "My, you know, um, what was it he said? <laughs> um, he said, take this cup away from me, yet not my will but yours be done. In desperation, for you and for me, he goes to the cross. Our world is in desperate need of us opening our lips and declaring his praise so that they might not go where the rich man has gone. Now, the rich man is not in hell. Please know this because he's rich. You know that, don't you? Because if people went to hell because they were rich, guess what? There's not much chance for any of us because we are among the richest people in the world today. He is there because he did not listen to the word of God. Rich or old, rich or poor, you can actually listen to the word of God and you should listen. And if you're listening today, you should be saying, I need to hear clearly the mission of Jesus for me. And I need to take this mission of Jesus to the world. I think probably you're hearing plenty of messages like this, aren't you? Because you're a new church. And you didn't come down from the top up there to this church in order that you might just get people from other churches come here, did you? Hopefully you came here to start very important hospital for the sick that sinners might come here and be saved that you might reach them with intention it's one thing to say we are people of the scriptures that we love the word of God am I right do you all say that you'd all put your hand up and say we love the word of God we're for the word of God we would walk away from our denomination because they walk away from the word of God. 
But it's one thing to say you love the Word of God. It's another thing for the Word of God to do its job on your heart and produce in you the kind of passion that Jesus has where you would be willing to lay down your life that others might come to know the saving work of Christ. Well, one minute after he dies, the rich man wants to conduct the mission. The rich man not only didn't get God, though, it clearly he didn't get people, did he? Is that right? He says, if someone goes back from the dead, surely they'll believe them. And Abraham says, well, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead, will they? You know, we've just been preaching on John's gospel at home. And we did John 11. And in John 11 at Easter time, I don't know if you know this, Lazarus, Jesus calls Lazarus out from the dead. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he calls Lazarus out, doesn't he? And you know, within a chapter's time, people are out to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus. You know that? It's extraordinary, isn't it? They've got the resurrection right there in front of them. And the same name too. And there he is. And because they hate Christ so much, they would actually seek to put the miracle that Jesus performed to death. Having said that, can I say, if I was Lazarus, I'd be a bit miffed with Jesus. You know, like I'm thinking, I've already died. I'm, I'm, I've gone to glory. Please don't call me back. You know, if this is what's left in store for me, you call me back and then next minute everyone wants to kill me. I suppose if you'd already been there and you came back and someone was going to kill you, you'd probably say, you yeah, do your best because I know where I'm going. But I think, why? Oh, Gee, you know, like, if I die, please don't have a healing ministry moment, will you, where you all pray over me to bring me back. Will you not do that, okay? Just let me go, all right? I, I, I don't need to come back, all right? That has nothing to do with the sermon, but anyway. Um, but people did come back from the dead, don't they? And still, people did not believe. It's fascinating that Jesus did great miracles and people didn't believe and they crucified him. And when he rose from the dead, they didn't believe. All they did was try to shut the message down. And you know that when you read the book of Acts, Luke's second volume. It's a terrible story really, isn't it? One minute after you die, You are fully conscious. Your destiny is fixed. You'll know the rightness of the justice of God. And you'll want a mission conducted. It's all been fairly negative so far, hasn't it? It's all been about the rich man. Please don't miss Lazarus. Okay? Where is Lazarus? He's resting in the bosom of Abraham, isn't he? What does that mean? Well, I think quite simply, Abraham is the one to whom God made promises to. 
that through him would come a blessing to all the nations of the world. And where is Lazarus? Simply resting in the promises of God. One minute after you die, it's possible to be where Lazarus is, isn't it? As you trust in the promises of God. But we're very fortunate, aren't we? Because we don't have to simply trust in the promises to Abraham, but in the fulfilment of the promises to Abraham in Christ, who has made promises to us. Promises signed and sealed in his own blood. And then verified in his resurrection from the dead. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asked Mary and Martha, do you believe this? Let me ask you, do you believe this? This is the mission of today for me, to encourage you to believe this. Jesus Christ has died for your sins. And he has been raised from the dead so that you might never experience the horrors of what lies ahead across the chasm that cannot be crossed from one side to the other. Is your trust in Jesus today? I hope so. Because if it's not, to follow you I'm not content. until I know which way you went. Okay? But to follow Jesus, I am content because I know exactly which way he went. Will you trust him with me? Why don't we pray? Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who's not wishy-washy. We thank you that you are a God of justice and yet a God of mercy, as the psalmist reminded us. We thank you, Father, for the accountability that comes with knowing that you are a God of justice, and yet knowing that we fail in our accountabilities and that we sin. We throw ourselves on your mercy this morning and ask you in your mercies to forgive us let the mission that the rich man desired for his family be a mission that we understand from the resurrected Christ, that none of us might be found lost at the end of our days, but rather resting in the sweet promises that you have made to us in your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, into whose care we commend ourselves. Amen.